Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 115, Annus Mirabilis Part 2. In our last episode, we started talking about 1759, the Year of Miracles. The first of these decisive victories happened in late July with the capture of Fort Niagara. Following on from the Iroquois abandoning a position of overall neutrality, with some tribes siding with the French, the British were able to sneak up on Fort Niagara, which was a devastating loss to the French. At their peak, the French had an uninterrupted chain of settlements, starting in New France, then going through the Great Lakes to Illinois and Louisiana. Losing Fort Duquesne had been a blow, forcing the French off the Ohio, but it was a salvageable position. Then, all of a sudden, they lost their place on the Ontario. Their advanced trading posts, such as Illinois, were cut off. The British were suddenly safe in the Ohio, and New France was on its own. The commander-in-chief, Geoffrey Amherst, was making his way up the Lake Champlain corridor when he heard the news in early August. Not far from the site of the defeat of the previous year at Fort Carillon. He was moving slowly, always inclined to security rather than speed. He set about the construction of Fort George to replace Fort William Henry, and it wasn't until July the 21st that he set across Lake George with 10,000 men, a smaller number than Abercrombie had taken the previous year. This time, things went better. After four days at Fort Carillon, the defenders destroyed it and fell back to Fort St. Frederick to join a force of 3,000 under the command of Brigadier General Francois-Charles de Bollamarck, whom Montcalm had entrusted the southern approach to Montreal. Amherst carefully looked around Fort Carillon before sending a party to look at Fort St. Frederick. When they returned on August 1st, they announced that the French had abandoned it too. Information soon came in that the French had retreated to the Ile aux Noix on the north side of the lake. This may not sound like much, but Lake Champlain is about a hundred miles north to south. Amherst was doubly cautious. He knew the French still had ships on the lake, while he did not, and he hadn't heard from Wolfe, who was leading the expedition up the St. Lawrence towards Quebec. If Wolfe had been defeated, Montcalm might be amassing a local superiority of numbers at the Ile aux Noix. Rather than rushing north, Amherst decided to focus on protecting his supply line. Fort Carillon would be rebuilt as Fort Ticonderoga, yes, that Ticonderoga. Fort St. Frederick was to be rebuilt as Fort Crown Point and a number of roads were to be built to integrate them properly within the British road network. Amherst waited for knowledge of what was happening, so let's switch the narrative to Wolfe. Over in Louisbourg, Wolfe had been forced to delay his departure until June 4th, and on June 28th, he landed 8,500 troops on the Ile d'Orléans, 
about five miles downriver of Quebec City. The British put the city under siege, started shelling it from the middle of July, and made a number of costly direct assaults, but got nowhere. By the start of August, Wolfe was running out of ideas and decided to provoke the French into attacking. The British started burning farms, stealing, raping and murdering the locals, but the French would not be drawn out by British terrorism. Wolfe's health then took a turn for the worse. By the start of September, he was nearing a mental breakdown. A third of the British army was not fit for duty, suffering the same fevers that were hitting Wolfe. The French knew that New France was fighting for its life, and was in good spirits, following on from the arrival of desperately needed supplies in the weeks before the siege. These supplies also brought in orders from Paris. New France had been divided on how it should approach the war. The Governor-General, Vaudreuil, took a Canadian approach. He wanted alliance with the Indians, which would lead to a guerrilla defence. The British could move into Canada, but he intended to make it impossible to hold. This meant that the West, the areas around the Indians were important, and Montreal was the linchpin to hold everything together. Defending Quebec City was of secondary importance. Montcalm, the commander-in-chief, took a European approach. He didn't want to spread his forces too thinly across the West, and saw Quebec City as the key to Canada. He thought the Indian allies only had limited value. Montcalm knew that Canada couldn't hold out forever, but hoped that Quebec could hold out until a peace agreement was reached in Europe, and so concentrated his force there. These two approaches were, as you can tell, completely contradictory. This led to suboptimal preparation, until the king decided that Montcalm would direct the defence of the province. This is why Bourlamaque withdrew his force from Lake Champlain, the move that so spooked Amherst. It's also why Wolfe found Quebec so well defended, as Montcalm had pulled together between 12 and 15,000 soldiers. The defence was excellently, if conventionally, put together. The only way Wolfe could get through would be through open battle, but in Wolfe's own words, quote, My antagonist has wisely shut himself up in inaccessible entrenchments, so that I can't get at him without spilling a torrent of blood, and that perhaps to little purpose. The Marquis de Montcalm is at the head of a great number of bad soldiers, and I am at the head of a small number of good ones, that wish for nothing so much as to fight him, but the wary old fellow avoids an action doubtful of the behaviour of his army." End quote. It was important that Wolfe solve the conundrum quickly. The winter weather would soon cut off his supplies by sea and would force him to withdraw. He would then be blamed for the failure of the expedition. To try and solve the problem, Wolfe called a council of war with his three deputies, Robert Monckton, George Townsend, and James Murray. They advised that he look upriver to cut off Quebec's supply lines. 
Wolf was so sick that he had no choice but to follow their advice. He himself believed that he wasn't far from death. He set to work planning an attack, and gradually moved a few thousand men upriver, before announcing on the 12th of September that they should prepare for an attack that evening. It was only an hour before they boarded boats that he revealed a location two miles upriver from Quebec, where there was a small encampment. The French sentries spotted the column in the gloom, but let them pass, after French-speaking officers shouted back that they were moving supplies. An assault was made on the camp by Lieutenant Colonel William Howe. Yes, that Howe. The camp was taken, although the French were able to send a runner to Montcalm, letting him know of the British attack. Wolfe was confused. He had orchestrated this attack to give himself an honourable death in battle attacking Quebec, and he seemed shocked at how well everything had gone to plan. Wolfe actually ordered the landings to stop, but lucky for him, his order was ignored. Montcalm was caught completely off guard. He was expecting an assault from a completely different direction as part of Wolfe's elaborate preparations, and had spent all night preparing the defences of the wrong section of the city. He surveyed the situation, and realised that the British could easily undo him. He had neglected this section of the defences, thinking that the British could never get in a position to assault it. The British could do damage, so he needed to meet them. Now. Wolfe waited for Montcalm to make the next move. Wolfe was waiting, partly because he didn't have a plan. In his mind, he had gotten as far as getting in front of Quebec, and now he hoped that Montcalm would attack. He had nothing else he could do. Montcalm, watching, took this inaction for discipline, and assumed the British knew exactly what they were doing, and were in fact entrenching their position. This led Montcalm to think that he needed to move quickly, when, in reality, Wolfe's position was deteriorating by the minute. Montcalm was panicking, and despite knowing that the British troops were far superior, ordered his troops to advance. Now, in 18th century battles, discipline was everything. An infantry unit was like a complex machine and everything needed to work in unison. The regulars had been prepared for this. They were drilled, they knew how to move, they knew how to withstand the pressure of a battle. Montcalm's regulars could do this, but most of his force was made up of militiamen. When the 4,500 Frenchmen marched out of Quebec to do battle, the militiamen immediately broke ranks and started sprinting towards the British, despite them being half a mile away. The line was immediately all over the place with the centre leaving the left wing behind. Montcalm could do nothing to restore order. Wolfe ordered the British to wait until the French were 40 yards away before firing. They stood there, quietly, waiting. The French were running, shouting and screaming, before finally stopping about 150 yards away. They launched a scattered shower. Wolf was hit, breaking his wrist, but he wrapped it up in a handkerchief and carried on. Others were hit too, but the French were too far away to aim properly. The British held firm, not shooting back. The French needed to reload. 
The regulars were stood up in ranks to do this, but the militiamen had been trained for forest fighting, not open battles. They threw themselves to the ground to reload, and this completely broke the French line. Some marched forward, but this exposed gaps in the line. Chaos reigned in the French lines, while the British just watched. Finally, when the French got to 60 yards, and then 40 yards, the British opened fire. While the British were battle-tested, the French were not. They broke and the pursuit began, as they started chasing the French, Canadian and Indian skirmishers started firing from position on the edges of the battlefield, and one of the bullets hit Wolf in the intestines. Another went through his chest. Wolf got the glorious death he wanted. This led to a slight problem. Wolf wanted his second in command, Monckton, to take over once he found his death, but he had also been severely wounded. Morrie was involved in the charge and his chief of staff had been shot in the face. Finally, someone was able to find Townsend, who took control. He ordered the pursuit to stop and restored order to the British lines. Minutes later, French reinforcements arrived. They were not expecting Montcalm to have been defeated, and this force withdrew. This gave the British time to start to actually entrench their position, gather the dead, and eat some food. Meanwhile, in Quebec, morale plummeted. The British were still in a weak position, but nobody noticed. They had more pressing issues. Montcalm had been hit in the stomach and leg, and died the next day. There were no other senior commanders in Quebec, just a couple of lieutenant colonels, who also received mortal death wounds in the battle. Vaudreuil was encamped nearby, and after much confusion he decided to withdraw 25 miles away from Quebec. This was so chaotic that they left behind their artillery and supplies. About 2,000 men, mostly militia, were left to defend the city, which had three days of rations left. The British focused on preparing their siege lines over the next few days, while French morale continued to plummet. On the 17th, four days after the battle, Quebec sent out a truce flag to negotiate a surrender. They were hoping to delay so that reinforcements could arrive, and the British offered generous terms of surrender. The terms were agreed that night, and then, at 8am the next morning, the city formally surrendered. The British had done it. They had managed to capture Quebec. That's where we'll leave things for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. (laughs) 